All right, well, we don't have Judd today, so I have no idea how to start the show. But, you know, know, hey man, like we gotta, we gotta make it happen. Welcome to GTM Unfiltered, hosted by GTM veterans, Judd Borko, Craig Rosenberg, and Matt Amundsen. We make talking business fun and sometimes funny. That's because we're always unscripted, unfiltered, and unlike anything else out there. Get ready. You know, as part of this show, I, 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 you know, I do an interview with Andy Raskin, uh, for many of us, like the uh, hero of, of I, I don't know, you know, I would have said for years, like the hero of messaging. But when you talk to him, it's like this, this idea of strategic narrative really hits, right? Which is the, you know, it's like the story that, that guides your strategy for the company and your go-to-market yeah. strategy. But yeah, I, I dude, I, when I was doing the interview, I was dying. I'm like, I got to find out from Matt, like, if you took Andy's work on strategic narrative and you look at the things that the examples he gives of Zora, Salesforce, um, I love the Gong one. You know, yeah, I read great. a lot. Yeah. And uh, he has some others that he's mentioned. I've read all his stuff and listened to stuff. Drift was another one where they just did a really good job of reframing the market. But I mean, I'm just going to talk. I mean, like, what do you think? I mean, what do you think of the interview and what do you think of this whole idea around the strategic narrative and like, uh, you know, definitely a CMO veteran of Silicon Valley's take is what I'd love to hear from you on that. Well, I mean, I've always admired Andy and I've used the um, both his medium post on the greatest uh, sales deck ever created and the deck itself in, as an example uh, many times, both internally and to, you know, people that I've done advisory for. Um, yeah. It's like a slice above what most people operate at. And I am guilty of this all the time, all the time, Um, which is, you know, I want to tell the story of my brand through the products and the value that the customers get. And oftentimes I find myself defaulting to, hey, let's tell the story of our products or our our company through the voice of our customer. Because I think that resonates or has resonated really well. But if you look at like, what are the companies, you know, and and companies that do that do very well. But what about the companies that are like, they kind of come out of nowhere and they're the paradigm shifting businesses. You and I talk about this a little bit offline. It's, it's, they capitalize on movements and they do a really good job of articulating that movement in the core of what their story is. And this is not like, it's not messaging, it's story. Why does this exist? Where is it going? Why do we build this? Because it informs this this broader story, not just, hey, we came out with this new feature and now you can send emails faster or you can make, uh, you can serve ads faster, but it's because we believe in a vision of a world that looks like this. And that is, it's, he does such a good job of distilling that in a way that just makes total sense. It's one of those things where, you know, you kind of see it and you go, God, that's what I've been thinking or God, everything that he says makes so much sense. But it's really hard to remove yourself from the minutia of the day to day. We're launching a product that does this. Let's go tell that story instead of this is another step in the direction towards creating the vision of our business as a reality. And when you articulate that reality and that vision, the new products that you launch should fall directly into that. And if they don't, then you shouldn't be launching them. And if they do, it should be so inherent to your audience of why you created it. Yeah. You know, 
without going into detail on your behalf, I do, th you know, what's interesting about wh what you're up to right now from a COO perspective is like you guys are in the face of a massive movement all around you. Yeah. And yeah. you guys have to somehow, you know, get a hold of this and put your story into that. It's actually really exciting because there's there's a big movement that's there's bits and pieces of it everywhere. It's clearly happening. So there's a really cool opportunity for you guys to talk about what's really happening um, and then your story. But it's big. And yeah. the thing with Zora, I mean, that was big. Right. The subscription economy is big and it was it was happening already. And that that that's really exciting, man. I mean, so like I'm going to enjoy that. We'll all enjoy watching your journey towards the strategic narrative where you are now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, not to not to be so transparent with what I'm working on on a day to day basis, but this is this is what I'm spending probably 75 percent of my like free thinking time thinking about. Yeah. Is, I bet. Not just, uh, you know, it's not, hey, how can we how can we be doing a better job with ads? How can we Im be improving our, our, our CPAs or our, our cost per clicks? But uh, or how do I get a better email open rate? It's like, how do I go tell this big story that resonates with a really wide audience and captures what we are right in the middle of from a data perspective, which is just this massive sea change. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, I think the best, the taglines that he illustrated, whether it's, you know, Salesforce and no more software um, yeah. or, or the gong example. Um, that was great. Yeah. It's, it's so great because it's so simple. And it's like, you can just tell that to somebody who doesn't even know what you're talking about, but they're like, yeah, of course, of course, of course that makes yeah. sense. Totally, man. So uh, maybe I should, uh, you know, depending on when people are sort of So the, the the idea here is that you know you're you're basically going to create a story around you know it's a strategic narrative a story of your company why they exist where the sort of tenets of it are simple which is attack the old game right and to find this new game where winners are winning they are already winning yeah. um, and um, and you know put that into the story. And that's what you're that's what you're just describing you're working on. And one thing that resonated was at the end of the interview when Andy said that I forget, maybe it was the CEO, and they said, you know, look, that guiding sort of strategic narrative allows people to make better decisions when I'm not in the room because they yeah. understand that story. That was pretty amazing right there. I don't know what you thought of that, but that was No, I I agree. I think uh, oftentimes people can think of their company vision as somewhat trivial or um you know, it's a nice thing to hang on a wall, but it should be the guiding principle to how all of your employees operate. And a good vision does that really well because it helps define the products that you build, the type of marketing that you uh, that you release into the world, the way you sell your products, what you talk about when you're talking about your company, whether you're selling it or just having a casual conversation about it. So I think to your point and to the point of that CEO, it's this idea that, hey, I don't even need to be present because everyone understands this core kind of movement principle. I yeah. don't know how, uh, a better way to define it than that. And that's so inherently imbued into everything that we do that it just makes conversation around the product, conversation around the brand, conversation around the way we make our investments really simple. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, the one I'm sort of, um, wrestling with like topic wise is cause you know, I am, uh, you know, a fan of category, mm-hmm. right. And mm-hmm. category design. So those tenets, because I do like this idea of like, you do want to make sure that your product is on the shelves when people go to buy ketchup. If you're ketchup, you want to make sure that you're on that shelf, the finest ketchup, uh, and the movement. I think ultimately you need both or both. Did I say both? I, by the way, in, uh, in your history, know me, Albro, Scott Albro tells me that I pronounce both, both with an L. Yeah. You, you get an L in there sometimes. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, that's the kind of movement stuff, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about here. But wh- how do you think about category? And in particular, in the context of all the things you just said, um, is, well, it, is it and yeah. or or? I, I mean, you have a terrible answer, and I think it can be both. I think, you know, where like, in, and you and I have been a part of category workshops before, category creation workshops or uh for an uh, for an incumbent categories are great, right? Because they help define your business and they make it really easy for you to talk about it. Whether you're like, a, let's say you're a marketing automation system. You're like, hey, I'm a marketing automation system. Hello, nice to meet you. My name is Marketo. My name is Eloqua. My name is HubSpot, whatever. But when you're, you know, when you're a marketing automation system that's being created right now, to go throw yourself into that world and go try to compete with people that may have a 20, 25 year lead on you. That's really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so can you go create a new subcategory of marketing automation or do you ride the wave of a movement and say something like, Hey, I'm, I'm, you could think of me as marketing automation. Sure. But like, um, most marketing automations, uh, orbit the sun of a CRM, we're going to go out and orbit the sun of, uh, let's say something crazy, like a Kafka stream. Uh, and there he is. Wow. Hey, okay. I impact. Yeah. I impact. Go, yeah, go. I impact. Uh, it would be very hard to sort of define yourself and, and see yourself at least the way most marketers think in the top right of a Gartner quadrant for marketing automation. If you just centered around that one specific use case. So yeah, in that yeah. sense, if you said, Hey, what we're seeing is, everybody's moving to capturing events in their Kafka stream. We want to capitalize on that and offer real time marketing by, you know, sort of uh, ingesting that data and then being able to, to react to it quickly. You're not really in a marketing automation category anymore. You're sort of, you're, you're now defining a product that exists as a part of a movement. And I think, even if you look back to, and I, I apologize for making so many marketing animation references, but you know it's it's a place where I've spent so much of my time. Like Marketo and Eloqua were actually part of a new movement because they capitalized yeah. on everybody moving to CRM in the cloud, and and yeah. and, and and that changed everything. And, and it's 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 odd because you may think of those as like the two sort of preeminent vendors in that space, along with HubSpot, obviously, uh, and yet there is a whole you know, uh, a graveyard of old marketing automation systems that existed long before those two that no longer could even really compete in that category. So, you know, they sort of, those companies came in, they wrote a movement, they defined what that new marketing world would be utilizing their product. 
and they sort of pushed out the old stuff. So, so that's why I say it could be either, you're either riding the wave of a movement or you're, you're capitalizing, uh, or, or you're, you're capitalizing on an incumbent category and riding a wave of a movement into it. Yeah, that makes total sense actually. Um, not that that's surprising. When, I, when you say, when people say actually at the end, do they mean they're surprised that it made sense? Is that what that implies when I say that? Uh, sometimes it feels that way, but not in that case. Not in that case. <laughs> By the way, on a, on a total side note, are, do kids sit in first class or no? Uh, I, I see it very infrequently. Um, and yeah. uh, I would love to uh, put my daughter in first class. I'm not sure how I feel about Mikey being in first class. Uh, but then again, you know... Uh, whether it's my daughter's eighth or, or 16th birthday, I'd just love to buy her BMW 3 Series if that's what she wanted. So, uh, so I would say no, and I think it's, it's it, well, it's just not something I see all that frequently. Yeah, I wonder, though, if it's taboo. I got to look that up. Maybe I'll ask chat GPT. Well, <laughs> well if we were, uh, if, if we wanted to, to use some statistics to get specific, I mean, um, Let's think about a film, a holiday film. You, you were talking about a Christmas movie the other week with Anna. Oh, uh, how about Home Alone? The kids sit in the back. You know, that's right. The parents are up front in first class. Now, Home Alone is a Christmas movie, right? Of, I mean, yes. In every yeah, that's a no brainer. Unlike Die Hard, that's a no brainer. Yeah, there's, there's all right. Die Hard, so yeah, could that, go either way. Yeah, sorry. I just, you know, I had to ask you that. But fun fact on knowing your audience. So I've been re-binging Narcos. You, ever, you watch Narcos? I've seen season one. I mean, yeah. season that doesn't count. I mean, you didn't, you didn't go through the sixth season. That tells me you didn't love it. Yeah, I just other stuff came up. I guess I really enjoyed it. <laughs> no, because I was just the other night at dinner. We were with a you know uh, some other folks, and I turned and I started <laughs> telling them about Narcos. And I learned that you have to understand the persona of who you're selling to because. And it was my wife too, and her and her friend. I start telling them about Narcos, and literally they both just started eating again. I mean, I could not let that was a plane that did not land. Okay. Now, why am I bringing that up? Well, one is because they keep teasing me about whether, you know, they say, oh, Craig, how was the Nears Narcos watchathon? Um, because <laughs> literally, I just kept going, why don't you guys want to talk about Narcos, whatever? And they had no idea what I was saying. But the, the, for, that's one reason it's in my head. The other one, though, is I was thinking about when we we're talking about strategic narratives and category and all that was just, you know, knowing who you're talking to and who you're trying to sell to. I mean, like, uh, that was probably the wrong persona to bring up Narcos. I, I, yeah, I potentially, potentially. Uh, although it's but, always but hard I'm, to know people's like tastes, you know, it's hard to know. That's true. Unless you have the data on them. So maybe I'll do some research beforehand. And then last fun fact, I have been using, I brought up ChatGPT because I've been using it for finding data points for, you know, for us and like, yeah. uh, having some fun going in there and doing that. I do need to continue to refine my search stuff, but like, you know, I've been going in there and typing in, you know, what's the latest data on RevOps and, and coming back to this thing comes back with some really interesting stuff. Um, I don't know. Have you been using it for any of your sort of day to day or besides? Oh, I've been using it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Interestingly enough, I've been using it prior to the year 2024, um, but I'm glad that you're finally on and using it. It's, uh, it seems to be a, a popular platform. Uh, so I know <laughs> we Hey, and I, you know, I got, it may take me a little time. I am a laggard. It, according to Gartner, I fall into the laggard category. But, you know, when I do come around, I become a prolific user. So you got to give me that. There you go. There you go. Uh, so I know that there's a lot of chatter lately around like SEO and the value of SEO. I'll leave I'll leave the listeners with this. If there was uh, if you're feeling like Google is becoming less important right now, a lot of these chat, a lot of the GPTs, whether it's chat GPT from OpenAI or others, are using what's being indexed in Google to turn up the results. So it is very important for SEO because the next generation of search is going to be done via artificial intelligence and your scorecard on a Google, you know, page one search results is going to be repopulated in, uh, in these GPT platforms. So if you're like, ah, Google less valuable, everybody's moving to chat GPT, at least for the short term, they're consuming a lot of their content from search. So being optimized for SEO on Google is going to pay dividends for you in terms of how people are searching for your products in ChatGPT. Yeah, actually, that brings up a good point. As that, thank you for taking that a remark of my my final for I mean my initial foray into ChatGPT into something actionable. But is there going to be a, now a whole like are all the SEO consultants going to be? GPT yeah. consultants, because you have to figure out how you position yourself into those search results, right? Is that is that right, going to be a thing? Right now, there's no, yes, it's going to be a thing. Right now, there's no real strategy for it other than it seems to be, you know, uh, a bleed over from, from Google and Bing directly into these uh, platforms. But uh, at some point, that will probably change and it'll be yet another thing that uh, marketers will, uh, you know, wake up in the middle of the night gasping for air thinking about how they're going to solve. Boom. There we go. All right, dude. It's good hanging out. We'll have Judd next time. We'll have the whole crew, but uh, uh, I appreciate you. And by the way, I just, I'm not sure whose view is better. Oh, I have the curtain up. It's a nice day in Foster yeah. City today. I'm glary in the city, but uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's nice, but then it's cold at night. But anyway, um, good hanging out, man. And we'll see everyone next week. It's uh it's always fun to talk games, so appreciate you. Yeah, see you next week. Bye, guys. One of the things that I love about doing the podcast, I don't know if you feel the same way, is like it's like this vehicle for me to finally talk to the people I've been admiring from afar, from either a content or speaking perspective. Uh, it's pretty, uh, it's like the, the ultimate benefit of this job. And in this case, um, that is absolutely true. Um, you know, today's guest is, I mean, I can only hope that I do justice to the stuff that I've read and watched of our, our guests today over the years. Um, but, but, you know, the, today's guest had years of experience in, in, in leadership, marketing, leadership, product marketing, et cetera. And for me, broke out in my mind when he wrote the most one of the most iconic blog posts or posts or piece of content in in my opinion in b2b go-to-market history which was uh called the greatest sales deck ever seen and that was uh traded back and forth for years i still 
pass it back and forth. And that was my exposure to Andy, which led me to follow him over the years. He is like, I think the king of strategic narrative in for particularly for tech companies, right? This is like the, the, the high level story that powers your strategy and your success. And he's done it for Salesforce, uh, Uber, IBM, VMware, you know, the titans of our industry. And um, if you watch or look at his work, you'll be as, as amazed as me. The most recent one that is like very addicting video is uh, Goodbye Product Hello Movement, uh, which we'll put in the show notes that you can watch. But but look, the, the fact is, is a lot of us over the years, you know, since that sort of moment of content, um, uh, that, that content highlight of the greatest sales deck ever have been following you over the years. And so it's my pleasure today to have Andy Raskin on the show. And uh, Andy, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thanks you. That, that, I was very humbled by the introduction and uh, great to uh, talk with you, Craig. See, I, ta- I was hoping, gosh, that worked. I, was, uh, I did have one where she tried to, she fill, had to fill in a couple holes, but um, you know, I try to, I, these are, it's, I try to make them heartfelt and that, that is true. You mean you introduced somebody where she was like, Hey, actually you forgot this, this, and this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can, I, yeah, I can understand. I think you did a great job though. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. So we got a lot to talk about. Um, but like the, the way I like to start things is this big question, which is, you know, is there something in the market today um, where the market thinks they're doing something right or that something is standard or it's a best practice and they're actually wrong and they're doing it wrong. They just don't know it. And what is that? What should they do about it? And I like to start with that. So, Andy, I'm going to pose that question to you as to start us off today. Well, I, I don't think I would ever say anyone's doing anything wrong for sure, because there's just so much context that, you know, I, I think to say, like, here's the way to do it in every single case is just you know, obviously asking for some exceptions and, and all that. Um, but I can talk to my experience, which was uh, around kind of how we structure the company pitch and mission. So I was a founder back in the dot-com years. So I started out as an engineer. A uh, friend and I had an idea for an app. This is a, you know, web app. We coded in... in uh, uh, you know, using like Microsoft Visual Studio, basically a, a Microsoft a Windows app. And we thought, you know, hey, well, let's try and get some users. We put it out there. We uh, got some users. We thought, okay, let's see if we can get some VC money. We wrote a pitch. We sent the pitch out and the reaction was really bad. And one of the investors wrote back, listen, Andy, I read every plan I get on a scale of one to 10 and yours is a one. And... <laughs> Next to the one he wrote uh, in parentheses, worst, in case we thought maybe one was like the top of his scale. So, um, and then he wrote in the margin, this is when they, back, you know, they would print it out and mail it back to you. Uh, he wrote, not a compelling story. And I didn't pay much attention to that until I was, a few weeks later, I was walking by this Barnes & Noble, and I saw a sign in the window that said, for anyone who wants to tell a compelling story. And there's this arrow pointing to this stack of books. And the books turn out to be about screenwriting, which was something I, I knew nothing about. I mean, I'd seen movies, obviously, but I, I didn't know anything about the, the the code of screenwriting. And so I read these books, and the first thing I realized was that they that, that a movie is a pitch. Uh, 
what is Star Wars a pitch for? It's a pitch for the idea that, you know, it's a, it's a pitch for really a movement. It's a pitch for, uh, you know, for abandoning the old way of like, you know, when he, when he starts out, when Luke starts out, he's kind of like self-centered. He just wants to have adventures and embracing this new mindset of kind of selflessness and introspection, you know, embracing the force or uh, trusting the force in their terms. And that's the new way to win. You look at any other movie, there's this similar kind of old game abandoning, embracing of a new mindset, new game shift that happens for the main character. And I realized that that was very different from how I was taught to pitch something. Uh, the way that I was taught to pitch was what I call the arrogant doctor, which is, okay, you have a problem, I have a, or pain, I have this treatment solution, and let me tell you why it's better than the other solutions. This was different. It was about, hey, there's this shift, you know, it's, we're, we're just, everything's based on, at the same time, you know, I wasn't, a, I wasn't making a movie, I was trying to pitch a business, so what applies, what doesn't apply? I did the best I could and rewrote our pitch, and we started getting interest. And then a couple of years later, maybe a year after that, I see Benioff at launch Salesforce doing exactly the same thing. He's saying, hey, there was this old mindset of software defined as software where we own and operate it. And now there's this new one called the cloud. And that's what we're all about. We're championing that movement. So it's this shift from this arrogant doctor approach, which I think is the approach that most of us are trained in including me, uh, to this other thing, which is more this like movement champion where the product is still really important, but it's in service of a, of a bigger movement. It almost feels like the company is evangelizing a movement rather than a product. And I think that's, you know, when you ask like, what are people doing wrong? I, I wouldn't say that the arrogant doctor is, is necessarily wrong in every case, but I think just a lot of companies have now come to this this other way and, and found a lot of success in it. Yeah, that is amazing. I, to, of all the things I wrote down from when we talked and from listening to you, the arrogant doctor is one of my favorite ones. And I can't believe that I didn't have it in my notes. Question for you is actually when you talk about when, so are there any other like movements that, you could point to for me that would be really interesting because those two, you know, the, the Salesforce is like the, the way you talk about Benioff is really interesting. Let me make the question more complicated because when we talked, there was this interesting thing about category versus movement. And you said something, which was, well, there was already an SFA and a CRM category. That wasn't a new category. Uh, that was a movement. And I don't, you know, so I asked for an example, then I talked about the Salesforce thing. So I gave you two things. So you have to parse it out and figure out yeah. what you want to answer. <laughs> Both things were on my mind when you were talking. There's a kind of um, idea, I think, in the the go-to-market world anyway, that we have a choice. We, we, have, we have two choices. One is we are launching a product that's a competitor in an existing category. And we're going to just basically talk about why we're better for cer a certain segment of, of buyer than, uh, than the other products in that category. Or we're going to define a new category. Uh, and we're going to, you know, we're not going to compare ourselves to anyone. We're, we're a totally new animal. And 
uh, I'd say my approach is a little bit more to the aligns to the totally we're, we're a new animal, right? Cause like this, this new game, this, this new mindset, we're saying, Hey, we're, we're a tool purpose built for this and nobody else is, but you know, that category thing that the metaphor there is really the supermarket shelf. It's, Hey, are we, are we in the soup aisle or are we asking the supermarket to create a new aisle for us or new area of the shelf? And I think there is another, like we maybe let go of that metaphor and, and just talk about the movement. You know, I think, did Benioff create a new category? Well, I don't know. You could say he did in that it was online, uh, you know, web-based CRM. You could say that he didn't in that it was already CRM. Either way, he's, it almost is irrelevant, right? He's, he's created this movement and people wanted to jump on board. Is that a new category? Who cares? And that's kind of how I think about it. Right. No, that absolutely makes sense. So um, that the the movement thing really resonates. And with Matt, you know, who you met, like that really hit hit him. I've been ever since we talked, been throwing it at people. But like, what's the I'm just trying to figure out, like, I I know this is probably in your secret sauce. But as you're thinking, you know, as you're, you know, is the is this one of the first things you do? Right. Is how do you figure this out? Like, how, how do you. Or is it in there and you always knew it was there, you just didn't embrace it because the gravitational pull, as you said, is towards the arrogant doctor. That, mm-hmm. That's like, mm-hmm. and what you're probably doing a lot of the times when you're working with people is trying to break them out of that. I, I am, you know, like just on things like creating content on LinkedIn or on blog posts, just trying to get people, hey, don't talk about the pro- like what's happening in your, in your buyer's world. Just trying to change that mindset. Um, you know, that, that has to be hard. I never tried to... Uh dissuade people from using the arrogant doctor. If that's working for you, great. Uh, I found that it wasn't working for me for, I think, a few reasons. It's one thing if we're talking about a can of soup and we're talking about how it's different from the other or, you know, it's more healthy or it's gluten-free or whatever it is, right? Um, But the products that I was marketing when I was getting involved in, you know, B2B SaaS, these were sprawling platforms with thousands of features that are and and they're they're not static. So like they're not like the soup that's going to not be changing ever. They're they're changing like constantly. So uh, to say that ours was better because we had this feature or that feature, it just like that was out of that was obsolete in a week. And the and also the other folks could say the competitors could say we have that and they don't and and it would be very hard, uh, unlike the can of soup for the buyer to kind of suss out whose claims hold water because these are very complex products. So um, I think it was really that dynamic that led me also to this, this approach and that, that people who are experiencing that kind of this approach resonates with them. You asked about where do we find it? And, you know, is this, should this be, I think you were kind of asking like, should this be obvious from day one when we found the company or is it something that we figure out over time? And I yeah. think it is, in my experience, it really seems to be something we figure out over time. Um, one of the things that, I mean, sure, we, we may have an idea of it at the beginning and, and maybe go with that, but uh, it's, it's usually wrong or it has to change, I find. And I feel like the sweet spot 
for first defining it is somewhere around like the the, the late A B stage. This is okay. the stage where the company is shifting from. One founder put it to me this way. He said, "We've had tremendous success so far, and we're we're growing, but all that growth has been like brute force of the founders, and now." It can't be that way if we're going to achieve our growth targets. I'm not going to be in every sales call. I'm not going to be in every product discussion uh, because we want this this narrative not only to be a go to market thing, but also to to lead product and and be the north star for for that as well. So um, one of the one of the things I do when I work with teams is have them start asking customers. Uh, a lot of questions, and the questions aren't so much like, "Well, what do you like about our product? What don't you like about our product?" I and mean, those are those are valuable things to know too. But here, what I'm really trying to get is, as how have you seen your world, mean the buyer? How has the you have seen your world change, such that what we've given you is life and death urgent? And often, I'll find that that question gives us some good some good uh, fodder for getting to a narrative that has some juice because the last thing we want to do is talk about some you know some people will say to me hey i i i framed the narrative about an old game a new game about a movement and didn't work and usually what i find is they've they've just picked something so big and obvious that you know it's sort of wasting people's time we we're really looking for something that has life and death stakes for the buyer uh the way that the, the Benioffs did and, and, and some of the other great ones did that, that, uh, that I love to, to, to look at. That's perfect. All right. So that was, a my terrible questions are all a lead into to, to where we're going here. So you brought it up. So the, the narrative is we attack the old game, right. And name the new game. And this is the narrative is this new formula for winning in a, you know, mission critical, our life's on the line type of thing. That's essentially, if we think about the narrative structure, is that the is that a simple way to think about it? And also, is that the way I should ask the first question? But go ahead. <laughs> uh, I'll leave the question asking uh, to you since you're the you're the expert here. Uh, but I, the answering, yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty good way to sum it up. Um, there's of course lots of qualities or principles I find come into play to around what makes a good old game new game shift that really defines a movement that's going to be that's going to that's going to hit home uh some of those we talked about meaning the stakes are really high um yes. one is brevity so you know no software or or he said at the beginning uh benny have said end it's the end of software um now it's the cloud Th these are very short uh you know descriptions of a new mindset. He's not going into a whole paper about it, right? You don't have to. I mean, he could, and I'm sure they did, uh, but you don't need that. Uh, the, 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 the words stand on their own. I'll give you another example. Uh, Gong, which is a team that I worked with, they, you know, they came out of the gate and kind of gangbusters right away. And they yeah. got to this Series B point and but they were still kind of seen as a, a tool for sales enablement, meaning not for the sales leader. And their salespeople would often have trouble getting above that sales enablement 
uh, sort of threshold. And Amit Bendoff, when he reached out to me, said, hey, listen, we're going to be a big company. That Like the trajectory is there. But they were at this, right at this Series B point, I think this was like 2018. And he said, how big, I think, depends on how we nail the narrative. Uh, and particularly, can we nail it in a way that feels like it? we're relevant to these uh, to CROs, to leader, leadership there. And so, uh, you know, up to that point, they had been talking about adding science to sales. And that was landing them in this enablement place. And then, you know, so I, I talked with Amit, like, well, what is this movement you're championing, really? We talked about it a lot. And what we came to was, hey, the old way was he eventually came to opinions that, you know, even if you have Salesforce, <laughs> you're, you know, if I was going to ask, well, why did you lose that deal? Well, your data, you know, is basically the sales person, you know, if they, if they bothered to do it at all, what they went in and, and, and you know, did the pull down on the, 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 the lost deal reason, you know, oh, I wasn't in the zone or, you know, whatever the reason yeah. they think. And so it's their opinion. And he's saying, hey, the new winners are all going on you know, a view of reality. And of course, that's what Gong is offering. So this goodbye opinions, hello reality, again, very concise. And, you know, like so concise that it's almost too, it feels like it's like too general, but the concision is actually where I think the power comes from. Yeah, one of the things too, I'll just piggyback that when you talk about Gong and part of how that story the narrative really stuck was because, you know, Amit really talks about it from a personal perspective. Is that a good way to put it? Like there's this, uh, the, he really describes his own journey. And look, I used to be an analyst, so I know this. Amit would tell me his story for 20 minutes and he had me. Exactly. So he would, I know that. Yeah, exactly. He would talk about, and, and this was, he told me, yeah, he told me the same story in the you know, hey, like if I want to find, you know, I was in this company, I think he was running marketing. I think he'd run marketing before that. And he would ask, you know, these questions like, why are we losing deals or what, you know, and and it was all opinions. And it was so much in contrast to the other functions in the business, which had already shifted over to this much more analytical view. Uh, I'm saying analytical, not data, because you know, Salesforce has data. Uh, it's just opinion. It's just that data is a reflection of opinions. That was one reason we didn't say like goodbye opinions, hello data. Uh, it was it was that we wanted data that was a, 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 a view of reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, yeah, that that really stuck with me. I think about that all the time, particularly because I hear from founders all the time when they can tell that good story about why they even just built the company. That's a really good start. Yeah. Right. And yes. um, and I, I, I could see that. Also related to that, too, you know, you, what, what you're kind of one one uh, pushback sometimes people have about saying, hey, there was an old way to do things and there's a new way is we're kind of saying to them, hey, you're doing it in the old way, you're wrong. So how do we deliver right. that message in a way that's not like, hey, you're wrong and make them defensive and feel bad? And one ideal way is what Amit did, which is to say, hey, this is how I used to do it. And so it's not you, we all did it that way. We all were, were doing right. it in that old way. 
Right, right. Perfect. And then you mentioned something else that I know, I'm trying to figure out where I saw it in your best practices or in your past work, which is the, the narrative should allow you to go wider in the stakeholder map. I think it's it like in the case of Gong, we needed to get higher. The narrative allowed us to go do that. Um, it, so tell me more about that. That That is a common yeah, issue, yeah. frankly, with a lot of folks. So there's a few exam- a few versions of what you mean by going, I think, wider or higher. So first of all, there's the going higher, which is a very common thing where we'll, we're, we're selling to practitioners and somehow the company starts growing, we, our, our solution gets bigger, and now we're, we're looking to sell to C-suite or those you know, people up higher in the right. chain who don't uh, experience the direct pains of the practitioner and yep. the, the user. Uh, of the of the SaaS product, and so I think the the narrative is really ideally suited for selling to those people because again we're we're trying to build in what are the life and death stakes for them as a company and tying this practitioner's work to that it's really giving the practitioner also a way to sell up. Uh, but there are other yeah. versions of this. You're really talking about the multiple personas. Uh, issue and that that can be personas in terms of uh, roles. So we, we for instance, we want to sell to multiple roles or we want to sell to multiple uh, verticals. So it, you know and you know we have a choice here. We can build a separate story for each of them. Uh, no problem with that is that we kind of come off as pretty disjointed and we don't I, I have right. to know who you are in order to tell you who we are. That makes that's hard, especially if we have a joint audience of, of multiple of them. You know, sales call that's got different folks in the room. Um, but the other way is, can we tell this a story that has a glue between all that, where there's this kind of central glue that uh, that ties together all the stories for them? And th- my model here is Zwara. So Zwara, their narrative was famously this: "Hey, goodbye." transactions you know we used to want to buy things now people want to subscribe to things there were this subscription economy so yeah. that's their high level narrative and i saw they they had a conference uh this was a while back where they had sessions for different personas cuz they when they're selling you know they're selling to someone like ford they're having to talk to like the chief product officer and the uh, head of finance and it uh, lots of different folks and so they had sessions that were specifically geared to each of these roles. And the way they started each of the sessions was to say, okay, we have this, here's this subscription economy, this is happening. How does that change your role? So for for instance, for the head of finance, well, you're gonna move from like a bookkeeper to like a kind of business enabler. Uh, because you know, you, of course, it's it's nice when we make the, the thing they're going to sound a lot more important and strategic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think it was yeah. true in this case, and they did that for each of the personas. I think the the uh, uh, I, I can't I can't remember all of them, but for each of the personas, they they had a kind of from to transition that this that this higher level shift had had uh, caused in their role and their. Their, their particular area. And I found that this brought it home real fast. And so 
what I do with a lot of teams where they're trying to do this is once we introduce this high level shift, we talk about, well, how does this shift, how is this shift playing out for uh, the multiple different uh, personas that are relevant here? Another way to put it is why are each of them now forced to jump on this new bandwagon? So, um, I'm trying, yeah, this is funny because every time you say something, I'm triggered by something I remember from you. Oh, here was, as you talked about this, the forcing on the bandwagon, but for what, what I understand on your successful strategic narrative formulas is you want to have winners who are already in the movement successfully or some parallel to the movement. And, you know, I know, I think. Zwara used Netflix, right, as like a proxy there. But like, uh, yeah, that was the first thing I thought of as you were saying. That's something I think a lot of people have also have trouble embracing, which um, is core, I think, from, you know, hearing and reading your stuff over the last. You know, yeah, 10, the, the, years. the traditional approach is to say, hey, um, here are our success stories. Here are the success stories of, you know, people who are using our stuff. And so um, if like, let's say we're new, like we're just coming into the market. Well, we don't have any, you know, um, and right. of course I'm having success stories of people using your stuff is very important. And, but, it, but, it, but it has a different role to play. What you're talking about is I think gets to this idea of the life and death stakes. So what we want to show is that this old game, new game shift that jumping on and abandoning the old mindset and taking on the new one. So in the case of Zwara, say, uh, stop selling things on one-off purchases and start offering subscriptions. Uh, it wasn't only uh, Netflix, but also they would they would cite uh, Spotify and even Uber yeah. and and places like this would right. not literally subscription, but subscription like services. Instead of buying a car, you're going to do this. Um, they're showing examples of where this mindset is creating the difference between winners and losers. And that's something we can often do even without having any customers. <laughs> that is so true. I love it. Okay. So, um, God, there's a million things. So it, everything you said there, you know, you, everyone can find in your content. Is there anything from that we didn't talk about as you think about goodbye product, hello movement and the things you're talking about today? that we want to make sure we get on the table before we end the end the podcast. Any insights there on this, you know, your big movement um, that we didn't get a chance to cover? Well, you know, I think your the name of your podcast is Go to Market Unfiltered. And I think the narrative is, and the way I even talk about it, the context is go to market, sales, marketing. But where I see this be really successful is where it's not just sales and marketing. I, where I see it be successful, I hear the CEO tell me as, as, as Amit did, uh, Gong, like, hey, this narrative became the filter that we use for uh, evaluating new product uh, features. So we get a lot of, he said, told me we get a lot of uh, requests for features from users and others. And, you know, but is it an, a, is it a, 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 like a computerized opinion or is it some view of reality? And that 
became, you know, it was like a high level filter. I heard from uh, Tiana Zwara, like this narrative became the really the filter for investors immediately. Like, do you believe in this, in this subscription economy? You're going to invest in us. If you don't, you're not. And it just became very clear. Uh, right. F- same for, you know, uh, as a CEO, I worked with him, Kelly Watkins. Uh, Kelly was early, Kelly was a senior person in marketing at Slack. And then she became a CEO at uh, a company called Abstract. She told me that this narrative became really the North Star for everyone in her company, product, finance, HR, to for making decisions when she wasn't in the room. And I think this is, uh, you know, this is why I think that the building of this narrative is not just a go-to-market thing, but a company thing, a CEO thing, that the go-to-market yeah. team, of course, has a huge role to play here, but it's not just them. And don't we want that alignment across uh, all, all the teams? See, now that's a big strategic way to end the interview. That was perfectly said. And um, <clears throat> I just want to say, I probably could spend three hours with you. So I had to choose. And I, as you could tell, the minute you started talking, I was getting triggered. I was off, like, making questions up as I went because I just – every I just – Everything that I've seen from you was sort of coming to light as you were talking. And that was awesome for me. And I hope it was great for the listeners I hope so and too. the walkthrough viewers. <laughs> but uh, I just want to say thank you very much, man. You're you're an icon to me. And like uh, you don't disappoint every time I talk to you. I, I learn from you and get inspired. And I'm sure our, our viewers and listeners will too. So thank you again, Andy. Oh, thanks so much, Craig. It was great talking with you. I, I love the questions. Keep it up. I appreciate it. And we'll have a lot of, you know, the the key links that you gave me and some other stuff in the show notes so that people will know where to find your content. And uh, uh, I love it. So thank you again. Thanks for tuning in to GTM Unfiltered. To hear our innovative insights and strategies, visit gtmunfiltered.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time.